This episode of Commentary, Trek Stars, is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 150,000 titles for iPhone, iPad, and iPod, Android, Kindle, Windows Phone, plus Mac or PC. To get a free audiobook of your choice, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. Hi, this is Robert Duncan McNeil, also known as Tom Paris from Star Trek Voyager. You're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 4, Episode 10 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And today is the start of a new series that we're doing on Will Wheaton, who I believe is our first actor to be covered. That's so right. But we're not going to be talking about his acting, per se. We're going to be talking about his work as a television show host i guess yeah we're going to be looking at um his two uh shows the first being tabletop and the second being the will wheaton project but today we're going to start it off by looking at his work on star trek so wheaton obviously played wesley crusher for about three and a half seasons on next generation He came back for a couple of episodes in Season 5, a couple in Season 7, and he was also in Nemesis. He was also the voice of the Romulans in Star Trek 09. Yeah. So, what do you think about Will Wheaton in Star Trek in general? Well, I don't don't, don't know. I've always been a big Wesley fan. Mm -hmm. And when... My friend started um, badmouthing Wesley. I, I realized that like I, I really liked the presence of that character. I really liked the way that the um, that there was like a, a younger person involved, and it made it seem a little bit more um, relatable. The environment's pretty difficult to connect to, but seeing how Wesley was able to you know maneuver into that that the bridge environment and the missions and save the day that that made it like sort of like a, a, a connection point and i was always really excited about that and for a long time i didn't really think about will wheaton outside of the character of wesley and um i mean that's just normal for actors and you know kids watching things eventually you go oh there's actually a person that plays that person and uh, i didn't know anything about him until a bunch of years later when he started being uh, a more significant or uh, more often appearing online personality. And uh, I was very surprised to find out that the guy who played the character that I idolized as a child became somebody who just seemed really cool and fun and likable and interesting. I was very excited about that. But that's a like a two-decade path. Right, yeah. I mean, it is true. You know, in thinking about this episode, like, it was hard for me to... When I was preparing it, like, I was like, well, we can talk about this and this and this. And then I sort of realized that it wasn't really so much about Will Wheaton as it was about Wesley Crusher, you know? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I guess that's that that's kind of natural for um, any actor in the Star Trek universe. It's just sort of the way it works. But in, in an effort to kind of, like, fight against that, 
Um, just looking at him and his uh, performance over the course of the series, you know, I've, I've always liked Will Wheaton um, and Wesley Crusher as a character. He was a little weak early on, you know, in season one. He was, he, he was, you know, he was a little kid essentially, you know. Well, and he he season hadn't one, he hadn't was a done weak. yeah that's true that's <laughs> true you know and, and he hadn't really done much stuff and you can tell that he he did feel kind of like a, a child actor in a sense you know he hadn't quite honed his craft yet and uh, I don't really get that. I don't really get that. There, there's some stuff which is just so over the top, you know, and part of it is the writing for sure, but some of it's like, gee, Willikers, Captain, let's do this. It'll be fun, you know, and, and just some of his, his reaction. It's just a little too over the top, you know. And you can kind of see, like yesterday, just to sort of prepare for this, I watched three episodes. I watched Where No One Has Gone Before, the game and uh, Journey's End. And you can kind of see his progression as an actor over the course of those three episodes. And uh, Do you include Stand By Me in, in, in this history of him as an actor? Well, I don't because I've only seen Stand By Me once when I was like nine years old, uh, which was before I had seen any Star Trek. So uh, I really don't know what his performance in that was like. That was weird. But just talking about it in terms of Star Trek, you know, I mean, you can definitely see him getting better as he as he ages, um, which only makes sense. But like, if you look at him in those episodes where he returns after he had left the show, he's really strong in those. You know, he stands up to to anyone else in the cast, really. I yeah I I agree with that but like um in um Journey's End I um when I first watched that I thought like oh what's why is why why has he forgotten how to act why is he coming off so fake and phony and like it took me a while to realize it was just like he was talking like no one on Star Trek ever has he was being petulant mm-hmm. and like you never see that like it seemed insane to me that he was acting this way. It, it, it's, I mean, I don't know, like, if there's an, ex, like, an equivalent. It's just, like, an incredibly strange moment in, in, like, an otherwise relatively consistent show. Well, even now, I feel uncomfortable. But I remember, you know, at the time, watching it when I was a kid, you know, whenever Wesley would come back for anything, it was like, oh, ooh, Wesley's back. This is cool. You know, even, like, in Parallels where he's in, like, a couple shots. That was when it was super cool. It was like, wow, they got him back for, like, two shots or whatever just to be, like, a background dude? That's so cool. And then, you know, he he's back in Journey's End and, you know, going to the conventions and everything. kind of had an idea that this was coming up. And you see him, and he's just a total jerk. Like, he's such a jerk that he makes he makes you feel bad for Jordy. Because Jordy's the biggest jerk of of a mall. You've got to stop hating on Jordy. And and he puts Jordy in his place. And part of you is like, you know, way to go, Wesley. He he had it coming. (laughs) Karma's a bitch. But but another another part of me, you know, a much bigger part of me, especially back then, was like, 
Wesley, what happened? You know, I, I kind of felt the same way that everyone else thought felt on, on the show, which is like, like the way Picard got really <clears throat> concerned about him, and he's like, "Wesley, come on, talk to me. Tell me what's going on." And yeah. He's like, "I don't want to, jerk. You're not my dad." Right. And that scene, I can it, do what I want to do. That scene in engineering where he's putting down Jordy is just brutal. You know, it's just like yeah, oh. give him a taste of his own medicine. This is what you did to Scotty, jerk. Yep. No, that's but, no, but that's, that's crazy. But 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 it just I mean oh, that that, that episode so is much. like is like really well done, um, because it it really does capture that 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 feeling, you know. Well, the th- the awkwardness, the everything. There's Journey's End is a great episode, and, and I, I, every time I've I've watched through the entire series, I notice new things. And the most recent time, I noticed that Journey's End has a thousand different ridiculous things in it, and mm-hmm. they all seem plausible. Yeah. But but that that uh, that evolution, you know, I think it, I mean the, the the thing about that, the thing about that episode and, and his performance, and is it shows you know sort of like a, a maturity um, as a performer, and um, it kind of makes me want to see him do more stuff, uh, even though I know his career has kind of changed since then. Well, you know, I mean, like I, I'm I'm not really a big fan of like you know the. The, the presence of actors like no matter how much I like an actor I, 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 I'm not really longing for them to do more acting well I mean whatever yeah. like, like I when when Will Wheaton started doing cool things you know like um, you know writing and uh, doing like early on it was just a blog at some point and that was where where I was most most like um, surprised to learn that I really don't care about like the acting side of his career, I think that he's much better as a person. I want to hear him talk as himself. I don't want him to pretend to be somebody else because, I mean, like most of the time, 99% of the time, it's not going to be as interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. But at the same time, I can see like uh, maybe it's, it's sort of like the reverse of that where it's not like I want to see him acting in things. It's more like if there's a show that I want to see or a movie that I want to see and then they're like, or maybe one that I'm on the fence about and then they're like, well, you know, we got Will Wheaton in it. I'd be like, ooh, well, that's interesting. Uh, let me check that out then, because I'm curious to see what that's going to be, you know. But regardless. Yeah. Okay, so what about the character of Wesley? I know that we've touched on this a little bit, but um, do you, you know what? What are you, your thoughts on the character in general? Well, um, before I had to start defending the character. Um, uh, essentially, I thought of him as basically a kind of a protagonist, because I could never really, un- I could never relate to like Picard's life. I, I don't know, I don't understand how he, you know, woke up in the morning and did his job. Like that's just, it seemed weird to me. His life was too bizarre. But Wesley's life made a kind of sense. He went to school, and he really wanted to do things that were not school. He wanted to do the real stuff. It was very. Very relatable. I, I was always a big fan of the idea of having that character on the show. And when he left, it was sort of weird because it was like, like that was part of the, the DNA to me. Like the idea that there's a character who sort of sees this world from a younger perspective, and but not like from a dumb perspective, from essentially an immature perspective. And that seems sort of crucial. Like it was like the sort of the missing piece of Star Trek, like – like a different point of view 
than the main characters, who all tend to kind of share the same worldview, even if they have different interpretations of it. I mean, even, no matter what, like Kirk and, 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 and Spock and Bones, they are more alike than they are to like a character like Wesley. So I was, uh, I was really excited that there was that, that presence on the show. And, um, and when I watch the show now, like whenever I, I you know, rewatch some episodes, I always, um, sort of, sort of like rediscover, like they really did hit his character well. And the backlash was really, I think some sort of weird, like, like rejection of the idea that like this character is obviously pretty great. Like he's not flawed enough to be celebrated. It's it's weird. You know, I, I come at it from a, a slightly different perspective in that I did not start watching Star Trek until halfway through season six of Next Generation. So by that time, Wesley was already gone. And I was watching the reruns primarily, but the whole time I knew, you know, I knew going into the show that Wesley was not on the show anymore. And mm-hmm. I was aware of this fan reaction to him. And uh, I could kind of see it when you look at sort of like the the way that he's portrayed in, well, season one in particular. But I was also at that point seeing things like first duty and final mission. I, I really enjoyed the, the way that that, that uh, character was handled in those episodes. Now, like looking back at it. One of the things that I think I, I really did um, respond to was kind of what you were saying and that, you know, um, he was relatable. You know, there, there is a, a thing that is done in storytelling, and, and I'm not necessarily sure if that was intended with Wesley, but, you know, the Robin thing, where they introduced the character of Robin in order to give these young readers sort of a uh, a character with a similar point of view. Well, I mean, like, the young character... I mean, you could say Robin, but in a sense, like, it's not really fundamentally different than, like, the audience's Avatar character. Like, well, yeah. Functionally, they're, they're identical to, like, Dr. Watson. Yeah. Like, they're essentially just the way that the audience can connect to the story because... Like sometimes you do need uh, like a, an emissary to to introduce you to these characters because they're kind of weird, especially when you're dealing with science fiction or fantasy or some sort of bizarre like mental freak like Sherlock Holmes. You need a way in. Yeah, and and that's what Robin was intended to be. That's very well documented. I don't necessarily think that's what Wesley was intended to be, but that ended up being what. Wesley was for me because while I wasn't as old as Wesley I was almost you know I was like 13 years old when when I started watching the show and a lot of the things that he was going through on a personal level were things that that I was going through you know and and I wanted to see that character succeed because you know I could see myself in him you know, mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm convinced that, you know, to this day, one of the reasons why I love the game, which I do love, that's my favorite Wesley episode, is really? because... that's just awful. I, I, I love that episode, <laughs> and I think, like, one of the reasons is because, you know, probably, like, looking at the time period and everything, like, Ashley Judd was probably my, my, uh, my, one of my first crushes. You really? Know, in terms of TV and stuff like that. 
and like in a, in a serious way. And, and to see, you know, this, this kid who I could relate to on the show more than anyone else, you know, succeed romantically with Ashley Judd was exciting. It's the word you're looking for, a score. (laughs) Regardless, it it was, you know, so it's like that kind of thing, you know, that, that type of thing made me relate to that character in a way that I couldn't relate to the other characters. And so he was an aspirational character as well as a, uh, as well as an avatar character. Well, no, he was because I mean, look at him. He was very successful in what he was trying to do. He was a very smart kid and everything like that. And you know, yeah, there, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe the whole he's like a super genius plot element was a way of explaining why they would let him on the bridge. Maybe like it was essentially secondary to him being a kid. Well, maybe, but see that that is that is a thing which I. Uh, was thinking about a lot in preparing for this, and I rewatched very specifically where no one has gone before in Journey's End last night to kind of um, test this theory, which I'm sure everyone else has already thought of. I just had never thought of it myself, really. But what is this thing? One of the the big complaints about Wesley is that he always saves the day. You know, they have the chart. How many times does Wesley save the day? And you know, it goes. It's way, way more times than yeah. any other character and all this other sh- stuff. Most of that, I think, is nonsense. But um, the Naked Now, they have a good point. That uh, is stupid. There are times. There are times <laughs> when it's stupid and everything like that. However... But that's just because the whole episode's garbage. However, <laughs> if you go back and you look at where no one has gone before, I kind of see that episode now as being sort of like the Rosetta Stone for understanding the character of Wesley and understanding why... He was the guy who's always saving the day and everything like that. It's because he really was working on another level. He was Mm -hmm. the smartest guy in the room by, like, exponential numbers. You know what I mean? I mean, it's like... Well, there there are clearly points where his... His different way of seeing things, his sort of, like, bizarrely, you know, abstract, elevated, like, consciousness made him wrong about Uh things, which... which, uh, is really really hard to get to work in drama, mm-hmm. and and I and like I buy it very quickly in this context, and I think it's mainly just because it's Star Trek, and all the writers were nerds when they were kids, and they all know what it's like to be slightly too smart for your own good. See, I think the problem with it is that they put this little seed in there in like what was it like the sixth or seventh episode of the show right and that's what gets him onto the bridge and everything like that but i mean Mm -hmm. that episode you know the traveler drops a huge bomb where he's like this dude is special in a way that you know is something which has basically never been seen before this and yeah and you need to nurture this and make sure that he grows into basically the next stage of humanity. I mean, Wesley is the the space baby from 2001, in a sense. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's the star child. The star child. And when they came back to that at the end of the show, Journey's End, first off, the fact that they came back to that and they and they finished up that storyline i think was really really bold but also really really awesome and 
it is pretty great. I mean, it's one of those rare instances where, like, they did the, we'll come back to this later thing, and then they did. Mm-hmm. Unlike Thomas Wrecker, who's still in jail. <laughs> Whatever, but he's in jail, he's in jail, that's fine. <laughs> but this was, you know, because he was a, a main character on the show and everything like that. It's like, you needed to finish up on that thing, and that's something that they never do on Star Trek, really. And... When I first saw Where No One Has Gone Before, I really didn't care about it, and I didn't think I could really comprehend what was going on. And when I saw Journey's End, I think I had pretty much the same reaction. I enjoyed the episode, but at the same time, you know, I'm like, what? Now Wesley's like a god or something? He's not even in the same realm of existence? Wait, how does this work? This doesn't... And to me, at the time... I was I just checked out because I'm like now you're going too far now you're going into the realm of magic and and I can't deal with this you know oh, I, I do can't that a lot. I can't process this but not with a main character you know aside from Deep Space Nine but that hadn't aired yet well you I know? mean like Star Trek for a while had been flirting with this idea of like the next step after Star Trek times mm-hmm. the next step being like an order of magnitude weirder but you don't see it. No, but it was there, and it was actually getting closer. Like, like the 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 thread of like, like humanity ascending to another level is very present in TNG from beginning to end. Maybe, but at the same time, I'm just like, ah, yeah, okay, okay, that's an interesting concept. But you know, humans can't do that. And when you see Wesley do that, I'm like, no, no. And I think part of me, you know, again, being at that time probably 14 years old, was like, the idea that humans can't get that's kind of a philosophical concept. And you're just like lobbing it out there. I'm like, I'm like, now I, now I can't, you know, relate to this character as, as much as I did before and stuff like that. But watching it again now, you know, and really thinking about it and looking at it from a new perspective and, and one, you know, which has had, you know, a lot more sci-fi to process and also, you know, just sort of philosophically a lot more uh, stuff to process. Like, I really kind of love it. I love what they did in, in Where No One Has Gone Before and I love how they how they finish it off in Journey's End. And I think that it's one of the coolest things that they've done in the whole franchise. It may not be the, the best episode, but it's it's one of the coolest concepts which they they paid off, and it, it kind of makes me love Wesley Crusher even more than I had, and it also does I think in a lot of ways explain why he was the guy saving the day all the time back in in season one. It's just that you don't you you think of that as an episode, and then they don't mention it again or anything like that, and um, because of that you you just forget about it. And whether or not that's intentional, I mean, that's oh, I what I see as it. I did not forget about it. I um, was counting the days until they got okay. back to it. See, I, I think was most frustrated people, that they didn't go back to it a lot sooner. I think most people forgot about it, you know? I really do. Well, I think, like, the, the, this element, the, like, this Star Trek element that is... That, that actually started around the original series and kept going. And it, it didn't really, like, vanish from Star Trek entirely until after Next Generation ended. But the idea that the next step in human evolution is radically different, and very specifically the idea that reality is in some way based on abstraction, mm-hmm. is a very weird new-agey concept that I believe Gene Roddenberry encountered at some point during the original series run. And tried to incorporate into the series, and somewhere along the line, 
other people just stopped carrying it. Like they let the baton fall. Mm-hmm. And that's unfortunate because I think that that, the idea that, that Star Trek might actually like graduate and become a different thing is very exciting. And I'm sort of routinely frustrated by franchises that refuse to change or grow up. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek actually had the the recipe there. It had the information. It, like there was a, a set of instructions in Next Generation on how to do this new thing. And all you got to do is follow up on it. And nobody did because that would mean changing the show and possibly losing viewers. Yeah. And that's stupid. Yeah. It's a big change. I mean. Yeah, whatever. So what? It's, I mean, like in terms of like changes, I would rather they make a potentially bad show that is attempting to do something radically new than doing something that would obviously work dramatically and that would definitely be successful. I mean, I agree with you, but I can also see, you know, the other side of it, which is... The business side? The business Screw side. Them. Who cares about that? But then also I can see the, the side of, you know, sort of like the creative side, which is like, well, that's an interesting concept and that's what you can do and that's not what I'm doing here. I, I want to do you know, stories that are in this, you know, already established setup, you know, which I, I can see as being perfectly valid too. But mental tier. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, I, I don't think that there's necessarily anything, you know, mutually exclusive about one or the other. I don't see any reason why you can't do both. Like, you know what, they there was even a little bit of an Voyager. There was even a little bit of an Voyager. There was Kess. Mm-hmm. She kind of flirted with the idea. But then they, you know, decided to not do that and just made her um a space carry yeah yeah which is what her name should have been <laughs> neelix so, and space carry so so what are your some of your favorite uh wesley crusher episodes any that that stand out to you as as high points well it's sort of difficult because early on like basically i would be excited by wesley's presence on the screen so it's a little difficult to separate my excitement over the character's presence from the quality of the episode, the quality of the character's role in the episode. But I suppose the first duty is probably my favorite Wesley episode. Mm-hmm. Mainly just because it's it's a crazy, like, it's surprising how well established Starfleet Academy is in five minutes. Yeah. And I'm very impressed with that. Uh, and and uh, like there, there's just there's just a ton of that episode that's really cool, and uh, it's very universe expandy, and uh, and it's it certainly helps make more sense of Starfleet Academy at that point, which which at that point it seemed kind of like like it was designed by Kafka with all kinds of crazy head games and uh, and and bizarre challenges that are not uh, explained in any way. It seemed very weird, and seeing that they actually had you know group assignments and uh and field trips that made that made it much more believable so yeah i I really like the first duty and i mean obviously like the dramatic side of it is fantastic because it's really great seeing a character like wesley who's always been the smartest guy in the room in a room full of people who are the smartest people in the room all the time Mm -hmm. that was cool yeah i like the first duty a lot too you know for a lot of the reasons that that you're saying anytime that they sort of got out of the Enterprise and looked at other aspects of uh, the Federation or Starfleet or whatever, and, and, and you could see how that society functions, especially things that you hear about on, you know, almost a weekly basis, but never see. 
you know, that's yeah. really cool. But I, I also did think that it was a really good story. And it was also, you know, cool that, you you know, they were returning to uh, the character of Wesley and also returning to Earth. Um, it was exciting, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's it's actually just all around a really good episode. Mm-hmm. I, 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 don't, I don't have any problems with that episode. And that's... It's not that's not common unless it's season six. Yeah, um, for me, like I was saying, I think my favorite episode is the game. Uh, it's it's a lot of fun, you I know. Hate the game so much. <laughs> it's 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 a lot of fun. I, I really do enjoy it, and uh, a, a, a big part of that has to do with uh, the chemistry between Will Wheaton and Ashley Judd. Uh, they really do kind of sell that episode for me. Um, but yeah, it's that, that's that's my favorite. I know everyone hates it. I don't understand it. Not not everyone used to hate it because the first time I saw it was part of the Viewers Choice Marathon on WPWR Power Fifty. I think it was number six or so, maybe number five actually. I I mean I can tell you why I hate it. It's totally silly. <laughs> this That's terrible silly. game is introduced and people try it and they instantly love it because of how it makes them feel and no one thinks I should probably break this it, it is kind of <laughs> weird I mean like I don't know how they thought that this plan could actually work you know and, and extend past this ship because you're going to have someone like Wesley on there who's going to be like no I was very happy to see like Data's off switch Mm-hmm. coming up again because it's like that's continuity yeah he, he told his mom about that like a crusher about that a long time ago and uh and wesley must have learned it from her which come to think of it why would she tell him mm-hmm. but it seems kind of like a violation of dr patient confidentiality but the uh she should go to jail the, but the whole thing we're like we're thomas right guys <laughs> but the whole thing we're like um you know they're sitting in 10 forward talking about the game and they're like, oh, we should try it. Well, I want to know a little bit more about it first. Oh, well, let's set up a, a simulation in, in engineering. And it's like, really? No, you wouldn't do that. You just try out, you know, Super Mario Brothers and see whether or not it's any good. And then, you, you know what I mean? I, I don't think that, but whatever. Um, so your your argument is that if everyone around you is smoking crack, then you're like... I don't get why everyone's suddenly smoking crack. Let's just try it to see if it's any good. But they weren't, they, they didn't have any suspicions about it being anything other than a, a video game, essentially. But it was very weird. Yeah. They but were they, very but clearly concerned point, about how quickly it spread. They weren't concerned about it. They just thought it was weird at that point. They were like, yeah, I'm going to get around to it. I'm going to try it. I'm going to try it. I'm kind of wondering why, but you know, it's like not a bit. Well, let's do this thing, okay? Yeah. So you're arguing that their urgency was not apparent enough. They, they didn't. They were. It was very wishy-washy in terms of about whether or not they were just too busy to try the game, or whether or not they um, were concerned about side effects. You know what I mean? I suppose. I think that's a weird hair to split. Well, no, I, I don't think that it is. I think you need to really come down on one side or another in order to sort of be like, well, let's try the game or but you let's don't, do some tests on it. You don't need to have a conscious thought about, uh, that like, is formed in the sense of like – you don't have to have a conscious thought that includes the word dangerous. 
in order to be wary of something that you don't understand. I agree, but at the same time, I don't really see them, you know, like I can see them easily on the way to ten four, on, on the way to engineering being like, you know what, I'm going to just try this game while we're in the turbo lift. Because why not? You and know, the other one goes, I know he does say, because he does say, I want to know how it works first. You know, Wesley says that. I'd like to know more about how it works first, but I don't know. Whatever. It doesn't matter. But on the whole, I, I do like that episode. Um, I also, it's one of the few times, one of the only times, I think, may, maybe the only time, where you see, like, Riker just flat out with some random woman, like, well, in, in, in a hotel room, just, you know? Well, yeah, usually we see the first scene. Where he's like... And we don't you know, see the later scene. He's like, hey, hey. But here, I mean, this was like, you know, they were hanging out in the hotel room, you know? And and that scene is pretty risque for uh, Star Trek, The Next Generation. I mean, that show is so um, chaste. Austere? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the honestly, I can't stand. <laughs> I can't stand the, the 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 really quick, like sexual storylines that pop up on a regular basis, and the idea that Riker is just always down to nail everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, it gets annoying until Data's Day, where it's a little bit. Weak. No, it's not Data's Day. What is it? Anyway, the one where he dates the the, the crew member. Data dates and he goes to Riker and he's like, "You should do it. You should definitely do it. She's hot. I would. If you don't, I will. Just FYI, Data. Yeah. See you later on today. Yeah. I like that moment, but I do not like Riker's sexual obsessions. See, They're a little me, tedious. To me, it's <laughs> like you never actually see it. You never see anything. You never even see him like in a relationship or anything like that. So because of that, it's kind of weird. It's always just them saying like, "Oh, Riker, he has a reputation. Oh yeah, yeah, he's got a reputation. Yeah, he, he does it all the time." And it's like, well, you never see him with anyone really. Like occasionally he'll be like in ten forward having drinks with someone or something like that. But well, it, it's just weird, just the way that it's done. You'd I think, don't know, man. I can I can count the number of times like Riker hooked up with somebody in the course of one episode. Okay, well, and uh, I mean, remember the, with the um, what was it the Bring Lady? Is that what it was? With the up the up the long ladder. Yeah, there was that episode. All right. Well, um, one last thing that we should probably just mention is you know the fact that Will Wheaton. It was revealed after the fact. Did the voices of the Romulans in Star Trek 09. He did the ADR for all those guys. All of the non-Neros. Yeah, Nero and, and Clifton Collins Jr. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought that was kind of a cool little thing. And sort of a nod to the fans. But then also, to me, it's uh, one of those things where... What that said to me more than anything was it's like... J.J. and Will Wheaton sort of operate on the same wavelength. You know, they're sort of like, hey, you know, like that. You, could, I can see the two of them hanging out. And then also it's one of those things where along with his uh, comments about Nemesis, um, it shows to me, and this is pre, you know, a lot of his other stuff, it shows to me that Will Wheaton is like a fan of this stuff. You know, I mean, it's one of those things that you hear a lot and he talks about and it's like, He's a nerd too, you know. He likes all of these things, and that was actually the thing that really, really 
like really made me happy when I yeah. discovered that because I thought like he's just an actor. Right, right. It's like he's not just an actor, he's one of us. Yeah, that was very exciting. Yeah. Um <laughs> before we move on to the next thing, uh I just to point out that the episode um where Q Riker turns Wesley Crusher into a grown up. Mm-hmm. And the grown up is some tall blonde dude. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, that doesn't really work out too well. I cannot believe that as a child, I did not react to that like, what? What the? Really? Riker, you dropped the ball. That's some other adult person. <laughs> Obviously, you looked up the wrong human body in adulthood. and uh, like, But like somehow I didn't think that as a kid. Looking at it now, I'm like, that would not, that does not make sense. How did I not realize that that was ridiculous when I was 10 years old? Because it is ridiculous. Yeah, it was the 80s. You know, <laughs> what could you do? Back in the uh-huh. 80s where, like, when a person grew up to adulthood, they could suddenly be played by anybody. Yep, yep. Yeah. Flash forwards on the Wonder Years. Um, his, uh, Fred Savage's character was played by Avery Brooks. Yep. So another Star Trek connection. Well, any uh, final thoughts on Will Wheaton's work in Star Trek? I'm, I still want there to be a Wesley series. And uh, I'd be okay with it if it was animated. All right. Well, maybe one day you'll get your wish. Yeah. Uh, for me, I think that um, he gets a bad reputation, and I think it really stems from the reaction at the time. You know, it, I don't think that most people watching the show now dislike Wesley as much as people did back when it was airing. And I think if you examine it now, you can see that what they were doing with the character was a lot more sophisticated than it seemed and he wasn't just a kid for the sake of being a kid they were actually trying to do something uh with that character and uh i think they did it really well i i think that it's another symptom of the the sort of like the problem of fandom in general that there there there's an oddly strict set of parameters for virtually every fandom and there are like different um, like stages and camps, and uh, it's in some ways very hierarchical and very sectarian. But the uh, the response of fandom along the lines of "No, that's wrong," when the thing being objected to is in fact an attempt to do something new and bigger and deeper and more. Is fairly common. I mean, we just did the Benny Russell thing. I think that that's an, it's basically an example of the same sort of response, which is like, I don't understand this thing that you're trying to do, so it comes off to me as stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and I think that that's just another example of it. I mean, like you you say, Wesley Crusher is going to Wesley Crusher has the potential to become a, a different sort of being. Is a very radically different. Uh, it's, a, it's a very radically weird statement to make in the beginning of a series, and I think a lot of people just rejected it. They just thought, "Oh, what he means is that he'll be wicked smart, right?" And that's not what he's saying. He very clearly isn't saying that, but people interpreted it that way because that is more comfortable. Because these are people who've been watching a series for a very long time. And Star Trek at that point was already pretty old. Yeah. And they were like, you know, sort of set in their ways at Star Trek as a, as a, a series of TV shows and movies. 
in which people travel in spaceships. And the idea that perhaps the next step doesn't even require spaceships, I think that they rejected it right out of hand because they just did not want to watch that show. Because yeah. they didn't know what it would be. Well, it's been fun talking about Will Wheaton today, but this is just one of the topics we're talking about here on Trek FM this week. So here's a look at what you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. They're not going to just do something crazy and be like, what if we did Star Trek, but on Earth? What if we did Star Trek, but, you know, with, with more explosions or whatever? Wouldn't that be cool? And, and giant robots. Earl Grey. Between a combination of Riker's beard and the spandex, you could pretty much identify what season you were watching just by those two markers alone. No beard Riker? Must be season one. Pinstriping in the background, but Riker has a beard? Must be season two. The Ready Room. The Prime Directive is there and all these captains are constantly having to break it because it's obviously such a rigid rule right and uh you can't tell a story with such rigid right. rules so you go back to yeah, it's television it's drama the orb it's never clear like is costa mojan is that the name of a person from long ago or is it the name of a group of people and so you're saying that in the prophet's language costa mojan is the name of the paw race Right, that's what they call the paw race. To the journey! Think about how horrible it would be perceived by the audience to see Neelix beaten up ruthlessly. Some people would really enjoy that. That's true, I'm talking about normal people with hearts and souls. Okay, so yeah. those people... <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. Um, this means that really now, sort of, the, the three of us are responsible for really getting the movie to, to, to what it's going to be, and, and there's a thing, okay, what's the movie we write is the movie that's going to get made, which is... A really cool feeling, actually. Warp 5. You know, Spock and Tuvok are two Vulcans. And so I feel like if you brought 10 more into the room to say that they're all going to be the same is really a boring race. It's, even right. if they're logical, they shouldn't have the same personalities. Melodic Treks. But when J.J. Abrams came on, he was like, just in like casual... <laughs> T-shirt and jeans. T-shirt, and, yeah. And because he'd just come from the set of... Star Wars. Yeah. <laughs> Well, that's a good so, excuse. Continuing mission. And there's this moment where you pass into it, and you're not only on a TV set, you're, you're on a, a TV set that is a recreation of the Enterprise, and then that goes away, and then you're on the Enterprise. Literary Treks. This is what I expect from the uh, ongoing comics. This is kind of what I think we've wanted is, is just right. to have this crew yeah, start definitely. to feel like the original series in some ways. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows to get in on the daily Trek talk. You'll find them on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, the Windows podcast directory for Xbox and Zoom, or you can stream them from the website. Just visit Trek.fm slash PD for podcast directory to get all the links. Hey, we have a new uh, iTunes review. Oh, yeah? Yeah. It's from Phasers to Wellsby. Uh, he gives... Uh, Is that above kill? What? Is that above kill? I don't know what that means. Phaser? Never mind. <laughs> oh, okay. Gotcha. 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 Yeah. No, he, he left a, a review on, on iTunes. Or maybe she. I don't know. Uh, it's a five-star review, which is uh, very generous. Thank you very much for that. The The subject is hosts who don't always agree. 
I guess that's us. Yeah. They say, I love the detailed look into what else our Star Trek creators have done. I especially appreciate that the hosts do not always agree about the quality or meaning of these other works. The passion with which Mike and Max discuss their views is really fun to listen to. Well, thanks, Phasers. I, yeah. uh, we do really appreciate the feedback. Yeah. It's always nice to hear that somebody gets it. You know, I was just watching, uh, just last night, I watched uh, Life Itself, the, the documentary on, on Roger Ebert. Um, oh, I have not seen that. It's really freaking good. Um, but there's a whole section yeah. in there about his relationship with, with Gene Siskel, you know, and their dynamic, and how uh, at times they were just flat out, you know, at, just they hated each other. They, they were at each other's throats, but at the same time, you know, they had like this, this, this respect for each other. And, uh, the whole time I'm watching that, I'm like, this is pretty much the same dynamic that we have. Yeah. It's interesting. But, uh, yeah. Thanks again, phasers. We do really appreciate it. And check out life itself because it's really good, uh, for what it's worth. And if you want to leave uh, us feedback, you know, please, please do. You know, you can uh, check. You can you can go to iTunes and leave a review there. I, apparently, that really helps us out in terms of uh, making the show visible. Yeah, it to does others. a thing that's good. Yeah, you can also email us or, or go on the forums or do we Twitter still not know or whatever. I don't. I don't think anyone knows how it works. I think it's just a, a magical thing that Steve Jobs. I bet Siri knows how it works. Maybe we should ask. <laughs> yeah. Like I'll talk to us. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary Trek stars to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read, but never thought you'd have the time for. Audible is the premier source for audiobooks with more than 150,000 titles to choose from and new titles coming every week from classics to current bestsellers and even some of the most famous star trek books like prime directive federation and spock's world audible has something for everyone and you know will wheaton he has done a lot of uh work as a narrator of books mm-hmm. yeah. yeah in fact one that he did was uh, a book called dead pig collector which was written by warren ellis yep um have you read this book no. Okay. I haven't. I'm familiar with it, though. I, I, I like Warren Ellis. Uh, he's, he's a really good writer. You know, I've read a lot of his comic book stuff, and, and he's cool. The, the description. From the wicked imagination of award-winning writer Warren Ellis comes Dead Pig Collector, a love story with a classic Ellis twist. So while it might be a love story, it's also about killing people and disposing of their bodies in the most efficient manner possible. Sounds like fun for the whole family. Well, that's very responsible to not just leave the bodies out right you should do something with them it's not it's really bad for the environment you know yeah it's bad. also attracts bugs and since you listen to our show you can uh get this book for free on audible.com as a trek fm listener you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great audible is so give it a try today catch up on all those classic star trek books you've yet to read and that latest novel from your favorite author as well just go to audibletrial.com slash trek fm and sign up today again that's audibletrial.com slash trek fm and we thank audible for supporting commentary trek stars and trek.fm and lastly there's one more way you can 
directly help keep commentary Trek stars coming to you each week, and that's by adopting some aliens. Well, illustrations anyway. If you go to trek.fm slash donate, you'll find eight original illustrations by Toba Ushi, who does most of the artwork you see on the website. They're available as both badges and art prints, and there are different contribution levels for you to choose from. Just let us know which you would like and in which format. Again, you'll find them at trek.fm slash donate, and your support helps us pay for the cost of production, hosting, and bandwidth that's needed to bring the show to you each week. There aren't any uh, um, traveler badges, but maybe in, in wave two. You never know. Yeah, there should be a Wesley one. He's not an alien. So? Okay. He is now. No, he's not an alien. He's just a, a, a different... He's deal. not a human. Uh-huh. Although, what would it be a picture of? That Probably just Wesley, right? Well, I mean, he doesn't need a, human, a physical body anymore. Well, whatever. As it would be always, neat if it was just empty <clears throat> with a little <throat> name tag. Yes. yes. Cool. Oh, we'll have to suggest that. <laughs> As always, you can find us right here on Trek.fm where we do this show. And I also do Standard Orbit um, with Drew. And you can find us on our own website, CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Track Stars Off Topic, where we talk about whatever we want to talk about. Um, but this, this coming uh, Sunday, we're going to be talking about um, aliens. Uh, a few other things here and there. Looking at this week in 1999, discussing uh, Arlington Road and American Pie and all that good stuff. So, so go over there, commentarytrackstars.com, and, and check us out. You can also lead us feedback like Phasers to Wellsby did um, at uh, iTunes or uh, on the forums here on Trek.fm, or you can... Uh, send us an email at comtrackstars at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter at comtrackstars. That's so, probably the fastest way. Yeah, that's the fastest way. If, if you want if you want instant instant response, hit us up on Twitter. If you want us to read your letter on the air, send us an email. Yeah, whatever. Um, okay, so that's about it for Will Wheaton's work in Star Trek. We will be back next week with part two in our series where we're going to look at his first television show hosting effort, Tabletop. <laughs>